Good evening. Welcome back to our Sunday evening assembly, our time together with our Bibles ready to study again. I'm going to concentrate tonight on a statement found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and verse 1. I will make brief reference back into Hebrews chapter 2 to set the stage, and then we will move into chapter 3 and concentrate on verse 1. You know very well my interest in context when we are engaged in Bible study, and I will assume that you share that interest and know the importance of it. And so consider, please, the context of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews encourages faithfulness to Jesus Christ. You can think of that as the theme of the book of Hebrews. The original recipients were being tempted to fall away, to drift back into their former religion and way of life. Responding to that threat, the writer puts before them the superiority of Jesus Christ and calls upon his readers to give the more earnest heed to the things they had heard. Be faithful to Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, the incarnation of Christ is stated, that is, His coming to the earth. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? Look with me at the last two verses of chapter 2 in Hebrews. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, that leads us into chapter 3. In the third chapter we are taught, since Jesus Christ came in the flesh, as just previously described, we need to regard him as the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now we want to know what that means. And how does it help me to be faithful to Jesus Christ? That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. Remember that these Christians were Hebrew in their background. They came to Christ from Judaism. They came to Christ from Judaism. And there were some who were now being tempted to drift back into Judaism, to restore their commitment to the old law of Moses and with all the human supplements men had added to that law. So the writer is responding to that, and he does so with these words in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore... Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses." as much more glory as the builder of a house, 
has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The Holy Spirit, through the Hebrew writer, is calling upon those Christians who were being tempted to see Jesus Christ as the one sent to grant them access to God. Now listen to that again. They are called upon to consider Jesus Christ as the one sent to grant them access to God, not Moses. Now, Moses is not dismissed by the Hebrew writer. Rather, he is placed inferior to Christ. And in fact, it says that Moses was faithful. But the point is made, Christ is now over God's house. Now, what I want us to attend to tonight is what this first verse should mean to us in our day-to-day commitment to Jesus Christ. So we're going to engage in some exposition of Hebrews 3 verse 1, and we're going to take all that in the direction of what it ought to mean to us every day. The Christians who received this epistle are designated here, holy brothers, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. Let's look at those expressions. The writer is justified in calling Christians holy brothers based on the teaching of the previous chapter. Back in chapter 2 in verses 11 and 12, Jesus regards His people as brethren. In Christ, we enjoy sonship and along with that, brotherhood. Membership in the family of God, but Christians are not just brethren in the common sense with one another, they're holy brethren. And we ought to add to that, God is our Father and Jesus our brother. Think of that. We can say to people, not boasting, but with joy and confidence, Jesus is my brother. And then there's an expression here, partakers of the heavenly calling. The English Standard Version says we share in a heavenly calling. When the gospel of Christ is preached, sinners are being called out of sin. They're being invited to come out of sin. Here's the way that can be said. Called from heaven to heaven. We are called to come out of sin, and when we hear that call, and we believe and confess our faith in Christ in repentance and baptism, we become partakers, our people who participate in or share in a heavenly calling, called out of sin from heaven to someday go there and be with God. And we take that calling with us into every day, knowing that we are not only called out of sin, 
and not only called to go to heaven someday, but while we are here to be faithful as God's children and Jesus' brothers, Jesus' brothers and sisters. See, that's part of our safeguard against temptation and apostasy, realizing who we are and the relationship that we have with God and with Jesus and that we've been called out of sin, a heavenly calling to someday be there. That's a safeguard we can put in our minds against any temptation and apostasy. That means if you leave Christ, whatever the temptation was, when you leave Him, you no longer have the blessings that you came to Him to receive. We talked about that last Sunday night. As Christians, how we regard ourselves in relation to God and Christ and the calling of the gospel is preserving us from apostasy. We are holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. The more we concentrate on who we are and what we have, the better equipped we are to resist temptation or drifting. Then, not only do we need to consider who we are as God's people in Jesus' brothers and sisters, we need to consider who He is. Jesus, the apostle, and high priest of our confession. Remember what I said earlier? The one sent to provide access to God. So let's slow down here and focus on that. Let's focus on that a minute. It may almost startle you when you first read Hebrews 3 verse 1, when it says Jesus is the apostle, the apostle, our immediate thought might be, well, now Jesus had apostles. But in, in, in a sense that is very true to who He is, Jesus can be called the apostle because the word apostle has a very basic definition. And it's very simple. One sent. And Jesus was sent. References already been made to that back in the passage we read in chapter 2. But as you think about Jesus as the apostle, as one sent, I want to take you to three different places in the Gospel of John that will give us clarity about this. In John chapter 3 and verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for He gives the Spirit without measure. So that clarifies it. That fits the definition of one sent, an apostle. He whom God has sent utters the words of God. Then in John 5, turn a few pages there, and find John 5, 36 to 38, and listen again for the same concept. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, these are the words of Jesus. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me 
has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. So in John 3.34, in John 5.36-38, in John 20.21, and implied in many other statements in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even into Hebrews, Jesus is the one God sent. Jesus was sent by God. God didn't send an angel to go to the cross. He didn't send Moses to be the Savior of the world, though Moses had a function earlier. Jesus sent or God sent the one, Jesus. So Jesus is the apostle. And that's very true to the word. Now, remember what I said earlier. He is the one sent to give us access to God. That takes us now to the next expression. Jesus is the high priest. It really helps me when I see this word high priest, to think of this simple explanation. Access to God. Access to God. The entire Old Testament paints the picture of the high priest in terms of access to God. Well, these people of Hebrew background needed to understand now they have access to God not through the old high priest under the law, not through the Levitical system, but through Jesus Christ. And that is a theme that the writer is in pursuit of all through Hebrews. Under the old law of Moses, there was a system set up by God for Jews to worship, to have access to God. They went through the priest. The priesthood was their access to God. Now, after Moses... And the Jewish law was taken away under the new covenant. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And that simply says, He is our access to God. He is the one sent apostle who provides access to God. Now, the point of the first verse of Hebrews chapter 3 is very simple. Consider who Jesus is to you. Consider Him. Before you go back into Judaism, before you go back into whatever you came from when you obeyed the gospel, before you drift away, before you let someone tempt you to lessen your commitment to the new covenant, before any of that occurs that Satan is going to send to you, as motive for deeper faith and protection against the faith and steadfast obedience, do this simple thing. Consider him, the apostle, the one who was sent, the high priest who provides access to God. You are sons and daughters of God, and you are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, you have been partakers of a heavenly calling since the time you obeyed the gospel. Now consider all that. And it'll preserve you. It'll help you. It'll deepen your faith. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle 
and high priest of our confession. That's Hebrews 3, verse 1. And you know it's not time quite yet to go home. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to give you a pun alert because there's going to be a pun intended in what I say. What we're going to do next for a minute or two is we're going to consider the word consider. Not very clever, is it? We're going to consider the word consider. I want to make a distinction between the modern use of the word consider and the biblical use of the word here in Hebrews 3.1. In modern use, the word consider sometimes takes on a very casual connotation. And and what we do is we use the term when we're suggesting that someone give notice to something. You know, we say, consider this. And sometimes we say it in that sort of a tone where it is not really that important, but you might just consider this. That's not the way the word is used in Hebrews 3.1. In Hebrews 3 verse 1, this is perception far deeper than a casual thought. This is not something you entertain momentarily. Well, just consider this. Vines, in his dictionary of New Testament words, says the word consider here means to perceive clearly and to understand fully and to consider closely. This is a close inspection of a truth, not a casual thought or a momentary consideration. As we continue through Hebrews, and as we do other Bible reading and study, our serious attention must always be focused on Jesus. Never lose sight of who He is and what He did, and what He ought to mean to you. Later, in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, We are to run the race that God has marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I tell you what, that's not about going to a building and thinking about Jesus while you sing a song or two are giving some thought to Him on a Sunday evening between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock. It's much more than that. Though we need to sing about Him and think about Him and focus on Him when we're here and have Scripture open, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider that He was the one who was sent and He provides our access to God. So this verse in Hebrews 3 verse 1 is is what I sometimes call an anchor verse. Everything before it in Hebrews 3 comes to this point. Everything after this is about what? Considering that Jesus was sent to provide our access to God. Our elder brother sent from God to call us out of sin, provide the atonement, and take his faithful, responsive people to heaven. This is worth serious and consistent consideration. Now, I want to make three practical points about it, hoping that we will take this with us into the week. Number one, 
You cannot be faithful to a master you do not know. One of the primary purposes of the entire New Testament volume is to bring into our minds a rich knowledge of who Jesus is and what he did for us and where he is now and that he'll come for us. Superficial knowledge may spark some initial interest, but our first acquaintance with Christ should persuade us to search the Scriptures and learn more and fix our eyes on Him and consider Him because you cannot be faithful to a master you do not know. It is a mistake to think that once you are baptized, you know everything you need to know. You can relax now. We address that all the time. God's intention is for His people, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, to grow in their knowledge and in their focus and in their consideration that He was the one sent to give us access to God. <coughs> the New Testament is a compilation of letters sent to Christians containing a message to be delivered and a Savior to dwell on in your heart every day. A beautiful picture of the Savior in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Details about what He should mean to us in the book of Acts and in the epistles. You cannot be faithful to a master you do not know. I need to know Him and consider Him. The Apostle, my faithful high priest, my brother, and my continued fellowship with God is possible as I consider and focus on Jesus Christ. You cannot be faithful to a master you do not know. Number two, take a minute and concentrate on another word here, confession. Generally, we consider the word confession to simply mean a statement of what I believe. And back ages ago, as religious groups were being formed, they would come up with what they would call a confession of their faith, and it would be a variety of statements about what they believed. Well, that's one way the word is used, a statement of what you believe. Perhaps that is a very common way it's used. Here, the word confession denotes more than just a statement of belief. In fact, in some translations, it's going to be the word profession. It's what you profess, profess and confess, not just with your tongue, but with your life, with your attitude and your action day by day. We not only confess the truth about Jesus Christ when we're baptized, we not only continue to confess the truth about Him when we talk to people about Him, we continue to confess Him with our lives day by day. There is evidence of that extended use of the word confession in this Hebrew context. Look with me down at verse 13 in Hebrews 3 where it says, Exhort one another every day. But exhort one another every day. Sunday? 
but exhort one another every day, it says, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How do I keep from being hardened against the deceitfulness of sin? I consider the apostle and high priest of my confession. I recognize that I cannot be faithful to him if I do not know about him. And I confess him not only initially, but practically and daily, every day. Third, briefly, <clears throat> every moment we spend in serious personal contemplation of Jesus Christ is going to take us closer to God and further away from sin. I'll say again, every moment we spend in serious personal contemplation of who Jesus is and what He did takes us closer to God and further away from sin. So, if I want to be stronger, if I want to be better equipped for evangelism, if I want to grow deeper in every aspect of my relationship with God, if I want to worship better and resist temptation and help people and clear out of my head all wrong thinking, every moment I spend considering Jesus Christ takes me further toward those worthy goals that I just enumerated. One of the first Bible commentaries I had in my early days of preaching was Barnes' commentary, Albert Barnes. And he wrote about this word consider in Hebrews 3 and verse 1 at some length. And this may have been the first time I really became acquainted with the biblical use of the term in this anchor passage in Hebrews. Barnes said, Consider, attentively ponder all that is said of the Messiah. Think of His rank, His dignity, His holiness, his suffering, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His intercession. Think of Him that you may see the claims to a holy life, that you may learn to bear trials, that you may be kept from apostasy. The character and work of the Son of God are worthy of the profound and prayerful consideration of every human being and especially every Christian, should reflect much on Him. Of the friend that we love, we think much, but what friend have we like the Lord Jesus Christ? So, I'm going to try to take this with me into the week. How about you? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Let's be standing while we sing.